Good morning. The passage reading today will be Exodus 18:10 through 27. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to inquire me to inquire of God, and when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided for themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the precious word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we're here today, and our passion and our yearning for you can leak over six days. And so we want, on this first day of the week, to be reminded about what really matters in life about what's really important. And I pray today that you'd find a group of people here who would be willing to be a part of your mission on earth, would be available, and then also a group of people who would know the beauty of the gospel so clearly that they would realize that everything they have is a measure of your grace, and we have so much grace yet to consume, and so that you'd make us teachable people. We pray that you'd meet with us and help us. We we need to hear from you again. And so we pray that you'd come now by your spirit and be our teacher. 
We have ready hearts, and we want to learn and hear from you. So come now and help us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our study in the book of Exodus has taken us through a number of different sections. We'll conclude one today. We've seen the God who hears. He heard the suffering of Israel. We've seen the God who delivers. He pulled them out of Egypt. And then a God who provides. And that's where we draw to a close today. God provides manna from heaven. He provides deliverance through the Red Sea. He provides quail. God just keeps showing up time after time after time. And throughout this book, we've seen some wonderful, beautiful things about God. This book, Exodus, is a theological book. It, it, it portrays a vision of who and what God is, but it sets it in a narrative context. And from here, we're going to look four weeks, for the next four weeks at the way in which God, after delivering His people, gives, him, gives them His commands. He, in effect, tells them how they are to live. And so next week, we'll begin a new little sub-series called The God Who Commands. And I can't wait to unpack Exodus 19 and 20 for you to be able to help you understand the, the role of the Ten Commandments and how they, they serve as a, as a bedrock summary of all of what God wants in the world and in culture. From the beginning, I've tried to help you understand that this book is not about... Israel, it's not about Moses, it's not about Pharaoh, it's not about Egypt. At the end of the day, this book fundamentally is about God. And that's true, entirely true. But at the same time, the beautiful thing that God does is He delivers His message, He, he mediates His story through real people. In particular, he, the story of God is the story of God mediated through a man named Moses. Moses becomes one of God's premier prophets, and it is a measure of God's grace that he communicates to the world, but he does so through the life of a person. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 6 that God has given us these stories in the Old Testament, not only to help us understand the fabric of the gospel, but also as an example for us, that we could look at their lives and see how they viewed God and how they lived, and then pattern our own lives after them. And today in Exodus 18, we're going to see the way in which Moses interacts with his father-in-law, Jethro. And you're going to see two indispensable characteristics of a man or a woman who is God-centered or gospel-driven. In other words, if you understand who God is and you understand the gospel, that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners and you're a big one and you've received God's grace, when you get that in your soul, the effect will be two things, a number of things, but at least these two things. There's a sense of availability, meaning that you're ready to be a part of the mission that God has for you. And we'll see that in Moses' life. And secondly, there's a teachability, a recognition that, that everything you have is something that you've received from God, and there is much more for you to receive, and that there's a yearning, a desire within you to learn more and more and more. So availability and Teachability. I think those are two indispensable marks or qualities of a man or a woman who understands the beauty of God and has tasted the reality of the gospel. So let's talk about these two characteristics. First one is the idea of being available or ready for God's mission. And by this I mean that you understand that you're on the earth, but you're on the earth for a purpose beyond yourself. So, in Exodus 18, our text gives us a window into an important family moment between Moses and his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, Jethro is a character that we are reintroduced to here. 
in verse 1 of chapter 18. But for those of you who maybe haven't joined us before, maybe you forgot who Jethro was, or maybe your only context for the name Jethro is something like the Beverly Hillbillies. I need to give you a better context for that, all right? So Jethro is Moses' father-in-law, and how he became his father-in-law was this. Moses was in the court of Pharaoh. He was part of Pharaoh's family, realizes his Jewish heritage. He begins to have sympathy for the enslaved Israelites. He sees an Israelite being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. Moses intervenes, and he kills the Egyptian. Well, for Pharaoh and his court, the idea of somebody, someone of um, Pharaoh's family intervening on behalf of a Israelite would, in effect, be fomenting a rebellion. And so Moses has to flee for his life. He runs to Midian, a wilderness area, and when he comes to Midian, he happens upon a well. And at that well are some daughters, the daughters of Jethro, who are trying to draw water for their flocks, but they're being harassed by the local shepherds. So Moses steps in. If you remember uh, the sermon, he goes ninja on them, right? And some of you remember this scene from uh, the Ten Commandments, and he intervenes, and then that, that little screenshot, you know, the stranger is wise and strong. Remember that? So he, he intervenes, and um, and then... He comes and he's invited to, to Jethro's house where he meets Zipporah, whose other name is Zippy, and they are married. They uh, have a child named Gershom, whose name uh, means I've been a stranger in a foreign land. And then he's tending sheep for about 40 years out in the wilderness, and he encounters this bush that's burning, and God speaks to him from it and tells him that he's going to redeem Israel and take him out of slavery. And he's chosen Moses to this task. And so Moses goes back to his father-in-law Jethro, and says, I need to go and see how my people are doing, and Jethro bids him goodbye. That's the last time that we have seen Jethro, and so we have a reunion of sorts here. Now, it's important for you to know that Jethro is not a believer in Yahweh. He's not a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, the text tells us that he's a priest in Midian. So he's a man of stature, a man of significance, but he's not a believer. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So word apparently had traveled, and rightly so, when you have a, a whole group of slaves who've been delivered from the superpower of Egypt and then have the army drown in the Red Sea, that's, that's going to spread. News is going to spread around that that had happened. No doubt Jethro had heard about it as well. That was part of God's agenda from the beginning. Exodus chapter 9, God said through Moses to Pharaoh that I raised you up, Pharaoh, for this purpose, that I might show my glory in you to all of the world. So God had an agenda from the very beginning. We'll see this agenda play out. Verses 2 to 6 tell us that Jethro was coming and he was coming along with Moses' wife Zipporah and their sons. Apparently uh, Moses had at some point uh, sent uh, Zipporah and her sons off. Perhaps one of the the sons named Eliezer, which means um, God is my help. Maybe he was born um, during the, um, the, the tension with uh, Pharaoh and, and Moses may have sent them back to be with family. And these two sons are, are coming now for a bit of a reunion. And when Jethro arrives, there was um, a bit of a reunion. Look at verse 7. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. He paid him respect. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they went into the tent. So this all sets the scene for what is to come. There's a, a moment here where a father-in-law and his son-in-law are, are reunited. 
What's going to happen next, though, is pretty remarkable. In the context of this family reunion, Moses seizes on the opportunity. Remember, it's his father-in-law. He's a priest in Midian. He's not a follower of Yahweh. He's not a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses seizes on this opportunity to tell him the story of what God had done for Israel and what it was that God was in the process of doing. He shares this story with his father-in-law. Now, for those of you who have family members who do not share your views of Christianity, you know how significant this moment is. By the way, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, you need to know that for a family member to share the story of what Jesus has done in their life with you as a family member is, is kind of scary. Let me explain why. It's scary first because, frankly, you know your family member better than anybody. And so you could start that your family member could start sharing the beautiful story of what Jesus has done. And the reality is, you know what they were like when they were 13 years old. You know, you know where the the body bags are, so to speak, of their past. And all you got to do is, is is say, well, yeah, that's really nice and great. But remember when you were 16? Remember what happened? And you can just like completely shut down the story. So it's kind of scary talking to family about a relationship with Christ. Secondly, the reality is is that you care for your family more than anyone else. And the last thing in the world you'd ever want to do is, is overly offend a family member. I say overly because the gospel, by definition, is offensive. The gospel is that we're sinners. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. That's, that's the gospel. But you just don't want to overly offend family. And third, part of the reason is is that family keeps showing up, right? They show up at Christmas and Thanksgiving, and so there's a, there's a long-term relationship. Well, you might be able to part ways with friends. It's, it's a little more challenging to part ways with, with, with family. So family relationships are long-term, and so what Moses does here, though, is he, he seizes the opportunity. And what's remarkable is that his passion for what God had done for Israel, his, his belief in what God was doing trumped any fear or eclipsed any fear of what he might have was sharing that story with his father-in-law. What's more is that Moses not only told Jethro about all the good things that had happened, but he also told Jethro about all of the, the hard things that had taken place. Look at verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them along the way. Notice that he shares both, and that's important. We'll come back to that later on. And how the Lord had delivered them. And then notice what happens. Jethro, this, this priest of Midian, he rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. As far as what I can tell, this is one of the first examples of evangelism happening in the Bible. And it's important to remember that the whole reason why God had delivered Israel in the first place was for this kind of conversation. In other words... God's mission on earth is to declare his glory. Israel's deliverance was not just to rescue them from slavery. Israel's deliverance was not just to take them out of Egypt. The purpose of Israel being brought out of Egypt was so that on the platform of their lives and their redemption, the glory of God could be seen. But the thing is, is that this glory of God is going to be seen not just corporately in the entire nation of Israel, but it's also going to be seen in one conversation at a time. As people recounted the work that God had done. In other words, Israel was meant to be a platform upon which God could be glorified. So Moses didn't just, didn't just revel 
in what God had done in terms of deliverance, he reveled in what that deliverance said about God. This is, this is God's end game. This is what God is trying to do. And so Moses gets on mission with God's purpose. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses provides a bit of a commentary as to what God is up to. Look at what he says. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man and the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard, and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? The answer to the question is, um, no. That's the answer, right? And then here's why. To show you To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. Friends, this is God's end game in Israel. It is to show the world that there is no other God besides Yahweh. But the thing is, this will not only be seen corporally over the entire nation of Israel as nations watch, look, and tremble, but it will also happen one conversation at a time in a tent with a father-in-law and a son-in-law as he recounts, this is what God has done. There is no God like Him on the earth, Jethro. As glad as Israel was about having been delivered, it would always be important for them to remember why God delivered them. He rescued them in order to declare His glory. By the way, that's that's what the New Testament tells us. The reason that God offers His Son as an atonement for our sins is not just to save us from judgment and to save us from hell. It is so that God, on the platform of that redemption, can make much of His glory. So the question is whether or not you and I, like Moses, are engaged in that mission. Whether or not we're ready to be a part of God's mission, to to realize that He's he's put you on earth, and if you've received Christ as your Savior, He's redeemed you for a purpose. He's redeemed you not just to save you from coming judgment and eternal punishment. He's he's saved you to be able to, to magnify and glorify Him now. So the question is this, are you excited because you were delivered? Or are you excited about your deliverance because of what it says about God? The difference is, who who is the focal point? Is God the focal point, or are you? Are you just happy that you've been delivered, or is there a sense of this deliverance says something amazing about my God? could have been easy for Moses just to tell the story and all the amazing things that God had done for him, and yet what Moses does is he connects the story to the bigger story, a bigger story of what God is trying to do. He was available to make much of God's glory. He was available to tell God's story. And my question is this, is that the optics through which you view life. Do you realize God's put you where he's placed you in life? He put you in the family that you're in. You may look around on Mother's Day, have a great time today, but you look around and go, why am I in this family? Or you you look at your neighborhood, you just wonder, and you think, you know what, why are we here? Or you're in a job, and you thought this is what you wanted to do, and you look around and go, what is, why am I here? Or you hit kind of that midlife crisis around 40 or 50 or 25, and you're like, what in the world? Why am I here? What am I doing, right? And the question is, or here's one, moms, you raise, you know, what does Jethro have to do with Mother's Day? Nothing, but he, I'll try here. So, so what is, 
So you're raising kids, you have this idea of what the family, you know, we like the Waltons, good night, John Boy, be all wonderful, and just be so beautiful, and then you raise kids, you're like, oh my goodness, this is so hard, and you think, why, why am I here? What's my purpose? The purpose, the purpose is to be a part of the mission of God, God's story in the world. And this is what Moses embraces. Look at verses uh, 10 through 12. Look at look what happens to Jethro. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Look what he says next. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. That's a huge statement. Because in this affair, he dealt arrogantly with the people. In this affair, rather, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. There is no clearer evidence of a repentant heart in the Old Testament than this. See, God didn't just establish sacrifices with the Old Testament law. Sacrifices were a part of the Old Testament understanding of God in that he's holy and you're not, so something has to die in atonement for your sins, in atonement for the difference between you and this God like whom there is no other. So Jethro brings a burnt offering, he brings sacrifices, and then Aaron with the elders, they come and they eat bread with Moses and his father-in-law before God. So they share sort of a, a covenantal meal. So what's happening here is Jethro was embracing the elements that relate to conversion of belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So as far as I can tell, Jethro is the first convert after the Exodus. Here is an unbelieving Midian priest who hears the story of God's mercy. He sees what God did to Israel. He confesses God's supremacy. He embraces his need for atonement. And it was Moses' testimony that made that all possible. Moses, by connecting his story into God's mission, made himself available and God used him remarkably. The problem is, though, that oftentimes we don't engage in that kind of missional work of God. We, we, we get tunnel vision. Do you know what peripheral vision is? Peripheral vision is, is pretty important when you're driving so you can see other cars. Remember in basketball, I talked about being able to, to dribble eyes up, but also to see in a peripheral way. Peripheral vision is really important for a lot of things. It, it's also important for grocery shopping. Okay, Let me explain. I was in a store a couple of days ago. I had to go get some decaf coffee. Ran out of coffee, so I went to oh, I had to get just just decaf coffee. But we have a carry, you know, it's all individualized. So you got to find it. And it's always way too expensive. So you're trying to find the cheapest possible brand that actually tastes decent. You know, it's just kind of always a big struggle. And uh, so I went to this, this this store, and whoever designed the store, I don't know what they were thinking, but it was like crazy confusing. Different departments felt like you're going in different lands. It felt like it was kind of supposed to be like the grocery Epcot, but it just didn't work at all. And I'm, I'm wandering around. I'm lost. I can't figure out where anything is. I asked some woman, I said, do you shop here? And I said, do you shop here? And she was like, ah, not often. I don't like this store. I'm like, me neither. I'm like, so... I said, where's the coffee? She's like, I don't know, maybe over there. So finally I found the coffee. But as I approached the coffee, I see this person, and they're like standing in front of all all the coffee stuff right there. And they're just standing there looking. So I walk up behind them, you know, a, a comfortable distance away, and enough to let my presence be known that I want what's right in front of you, and I can't get it because you're standing right there. And so I just, I stood behind the person, and I just waited. And, and they just waited. And, we just waited together. And, uh, 
So I'm looking around. I'm, I'm kind of moving, thinking maybe <coughs> they'll see. And just could you just move over a touch? And oh no, 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 no. They just took their time, just just standing there, no clue that I'm behind them. So I just stood there, waited patiently, thinking this may be a good sermon illustration coming up right now. And <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. A minute, minute and a half passed, and finally they chose their coffee and walked away and had no clue that I was standing right behind them the entire time. So I stood up to my coffee and I, sure, I looked both ways to see if no one else was around. But the reality is without that peripheral vision, there's no sense of the outside surroundings around you. And what's true in the grocery store or in basketball or in driving is also true spiritually that so often we get so tunnel visioned We get so focused on the details of life. We're just trying to make it from one day to the next, from one week to the next, trying to to, to make it to the the, the end of the week and then rest and then do it all over again. And we fail to remember that the reason when you're in your neighborhood, the reason God's placed you in that family, the reason that God has given you the children he has, the reason that you are where you are is because of a mission to make much of God and his glory. But we don't have spiritual peripheral vision. We just see right in front of us and we miss the opportunity. And here is the characteristic of Moses, in light of the beauty of all what God is for him, that he's available, he intersects his own life with the mission of God, and as a result, his father-in-law becomes, from what I can tell, one of the first converts, the first person to believe post-Exodus. So availability is the first mark of those who are God-centered. Can I just ask you, do you have a sense that God's got a plan for your life bigger than just what you're doing every single day? In the midst of the pain that you're dealing with or the disappointment, some of you may be here and your life just didn't turn out anything like you wanted and it's just a big bummer. And the reality is, I get it. But the fact of the matter is, God's got a mission for your life and you've got to either get over what's happened to you and get on with your life and say, God, here I am. I'm available for your service. Maybe you had big ideas and thought what you'd do for God or the world and it didn't turn out. And the reality is, God has a purpose for you beyond what you could even possibly imagine. And he wants us to be engaged in his mission. God didn't redeem Israel just to redeem Israel any more than he redeems people just to redeem them. He redeemed Israel and he redeems you for the purpose of making much of himself. That at the end of the day, Exodus isn't about Moses, it's not about Israel, it's not about Pharaoh, it's about God. And guess what? Your life isn't about you. It's not about your family, it's not about your career. At the end of the day, it's about God availability. That's the first indispensable quality of those who are God and gospel-centered. Here's the second one. That is the issue of being teachable or ready to learn. Exodus 18 continues and helps us with another interesting window into Moses' relationship with Jethro. Moses needs wisdom. His father-in-law gives him some practical help. Verse 13 tells us that Moses heard the cases of people from morning to evening. As you can imagine, there were lots of issues. I mean, there's lots of people, so there's lots of issues, right? I mean, people are people, whether Israelites or they're uh, folks who live in Indianapolis, Indiana. We, We have issues because we're people. And so Moses is hearing those cases. He's trying to figure out what should be done. And Jethro observes this setup that the people were there and they were waiting to hear from Moses from sunup to sundown. And, Mo- and Jethro looks at this and just says, look, this is not good. 
And then Moses explains why he's doing what he's doing. He said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me and inquire of God. When they have a, dis- when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. And at some level, this is legit. I mean, Moses is the prophet. He's spoken with God. He understands the heart of God. And these Israelites have no law. They have no context to know how they're to treat one another. And we're going to see that play out in the book of Exodus as God begins to tell them how they are to interact and engage with one another, what rules of fairness and righteousness ought to be a part of their daily living. But for now, Moses is the only one who really knows how they should live. And so from morning to night, Moses is hearing their cases. It's commendable. I mean, Moses, he's working really, really hard, working long hours. And yet, those long hours and the whole setup was deeply concerning to Jethro. And he offers some words of counsel. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, what you are doing is not good. And here's, here's what he says. First, that this was simply unsustainable. He couldn't continue like this. He says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for it is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. I mean, it's really kind of Jethro just to tell Moses, you can't do this on your own. Good friends, good spouses, good comrades say, hey, great idea. You can't, you, this is not sustainable. And then he also says, obey my voice. I will give you advice. The Lord be with you. Or God be with you. You shall represent the people before God. Bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make known, make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So Moses still had a role, a prophetic role. But then he's going to identify that there was a need to look for men of character and empower them to serve the people as assistant judges. He says, look for able men from among the people. Many who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chief of thousands, hundreds, of fifties, of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. So what Moses wanted was peace, but the problem was is that the volume or the capacity of what was required was not sustainable. And, and Moses learns an important lesson, a lesson that I, I hope that, that all of us can understand and embrace, especially if you're in any position of leadership or even spiritual leadership. And this is the issue, is that when the mission, overall mission, and my abilities, because of the scope or the challenge, and those don't line up, am I willing to change? When the mission is the people need to have peace and I need to give them God's law, but the capacity is limited or the volume of what is needed, the question then, are you just going to keep working harder and harder and harder and harder and harder or are you going to somehow change in order to accomplish the mission but to be able to do it in a way that maybe you haven't done it before? I mean, one of the the characteristics of people in church or whole churches that get stuck is the proverbial, we've never done it that way before, The reality is Moses wanted justice for his people, but what he had to do, and don't miss this, he had to uncouple his sense of identity and his value as the only judge in order for this to happen. 
I mean, let's be honest. There's something, must have been something really affirming about having all those people waiting to hear what you think on an issue. And I, I bet that he went to his tent at night and Zippy said, how was your day? He said, oh, so hard. Got all these people talking to me. I got all these issues. And, and sure, there may have been a little bit of a complaining spirit every once in a while. But the reality is underneath that, isn't there? There's a sense of, but I'm really important. I'm doing stuff that really matters. And, because there's so many people that need me, so many things that are required of me. I've got, I've got value and I've got purpose. And it took a lot of humility. And candidly, it took a lot of courage for Moses to look at this and even hear the words of his father-in-law Jethro. I mean, he could have said things like, Jethro, you've only been here a day. You have no idea what you're talking about. You can be advice after a day. He could have said, look, you're Midian, we're Jewish, it's a cultural thing. Okay, could have said, um, look, you don't even, you've only known Yahweh for a day. You don't even know God's law. You don't know how complicated these issues are. Or he could have said, look, Jethro, it's great advice, but the people, they're just not ready for this yet. They're just not ready. They're scared. They need to hear from me. But instead, Moses listens to really wise advice. Look at verse 24. You know, if there's one word that I can get you to underline today in your Bible, it would be this word. So Moses listened. Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. You know, you can tell somebody all sorts of things, but you can't make them listen, can you? Text goes on and it says, Moses chose able men out of Israel, made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. You know, I can think of examples, regretfully so, in my own life when I just didn't listen. Someone told me something, and I was like, ah, you're a Midian, we're Jewish, you know. Or you've been here a day, you have no idea what you're talking about. Only to realize later, boy, I wish I would have listened. I can think of examples in the lives of others where they would just have listened. You know, one of the, the joys and one of the pains of being at a, a church longer than just a few years is you see the effects of people who just don't listen. You see kids who don't listen. A friend of mine um, recently said that a lack of teachability creates a ceiling of growth in your life. You hear that? Listen, a lack of teachability creates a ceiling of growth. I mean, there's, there's two kinds of people in life. Those who are teachable and those who aren't. People who think they're nailing it and they don't need to learn anything. And those who they know, they got so much to learn. Proverbs has, has a lot to say about um, being a teachable person. Look at Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. A fool just says, I know I'm right because it's my opinion. If I was wrong, I'd change my mind. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. New Living Translation says, get all the advice and instruction you can, so you will be wise the rest of your life. And again, because i got to connect this to Mother's Day somehow, Proverbs 10 says, a wise son makes a glad father, and this, this is not a force fit here, listen, but a foolish son is, sor- is a sorrow to his mother. Listen, you, you could give your mom flowers, you can give her cards, you can give her chocolate turtles, you can give her whatever you want. The reality is, kids, you want to give your mom a gift, be a, be a child that listens. 
When your mom says, you know what, honey, you need to be careful about this. You ought to be the kind of kid that says, mom, that's great advice. I'm going to listen to that and take that with me the rest of my life. And your mom will be like, oh, she'd be like, Jesus is come. You know, it's just, not, not, I'm not making this up. I mean, this right, moms? I mean, just to have your kids go, that is so right, mom, and I will take your word for it. I won't, I won't argue or debate, even if no one else's parents has ever talked like this. I'm going to believe you're the only parent in the world who's doing right. I mean, I'm just going to believe that. But a foolish son is a grief to his mother. No mom wants to say, so how are your kids? Yeah, this one, this one, and this one's a fool. I mean, no. <laughs> Can you imagine a mom saying, it's comical because it's so tragic, right? No one wants to say that. And the reality is, the difference between a fool and somebody who's wise, you know what the fulcrum is of that? It's teachability. Are you willing to listen? Do you hear and heed advice? Over the course of my life, I've had the opportunity to interact with lots of of different people, and it's remarkable to me that the people who God seems to use mightily are the kind of people who have a teachable spirit. No matter how old they get, they never stop growing. No matter how many lessons they learn, they never stop trying to receive things from the Lord. And no matter how successful they've been, there's always just this clear sense of, you know what, at the bottom, at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the line, I'm a person who just needs a lot of grace, and God's been very merciful to me, but I've got a long ways to go. Some of the wisest people I've ever met are the most convinced that they just don't know how to be able to really live. So Moses gives us a great example here, a man who has met with God. He's a guy who's controlled plagues. He's part of the Red Sea. He struck rocks and water comes out. He's empower, he empowers victories in battle, and yet his newly converted father-in-law gives him advice, and he listens and receives it. It's no wonder he was greatly used of God. He's a man who's not only ready for God's mission, he's also a man who's ready to learn. And that's my question for you. Are you ready to learn? Do you, do you receive counsel from others? So let me draw this to a close and just give you some, some pastoral cautions. So when I think of Exodus 18 and I just think of the gospel and its implication for our lives, that, that God has been merciful to us more than we ever deserve, how do, how do we process this text in light of how we should live? Here's, here's a couple cautions. First of this, church, beware of a small view of God and a big view of self. One of the reasons you need corporate worship on a regular basis, one of the reasons you need to spend time in God's Word, is your view of God tends to shrink over time, and your view of self tends to increase. And therefore, you need a regular diet of being reminded how big God is and how really messed up we are. And that's actually hopeful, because there's grace upon grace upon grace. The gospel helps us to understand that God has been incredibly merciful, even though we weren't deserving of any of it. The gospel reminds us, the gospel of we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, meaning that there's nothing that I can do. God had to do this for me. He had to provide an atonement that I could never have created on my own. And by coming back to that gospel, I'm reminded that everything at the end of the day is about Him. So the only antidote for a growing self-focus is a growing God-focus. Your understanding of God's got to go bigger and bigger and bigger because your heart is relentlessly bent on trying to make itself bigger and bigger and bigger. Number two, I love the fact that Moses tells Jethro about the hardships along the way. Here's the other caution. Beware of editing brokenness out of your life. 
When I think of the people who I want to get counsel from, the people who would be on my speed dial, hey, when I'm in trouble, I want to call so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. You know what the characteristic is of their life? They're honestly broken people. They're fellow strugglers. They're, 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 they're fellow um, pilgrims, if you will, in the midst of hardship. I don't want to talk to somebody who's nailed it every single time. I don't want to talk to some... Superman who can't relate to my own personal struggles. I want to talk to somebody who's fought and is fighting and winning the battle. I don't want to talk to someone who's like, yeah, I don't, I can't relate to that. I I never struggle, never have issues. Everything goes just fine. First of all, that person is lying. And secondly, they're not helpful. So when you're telling the story of your life and what God has done, don't wave your brokenness of your past like it's some badge, but at the same time acknowledge this, this, this was a very hard season and this was really challenging and, and this was really a fight and realize that in the hardship of life and that transparency, you actually invite people to intersect into God's mission. Some of you are embarrassed about your past, you're ashamed of it, and the reality is you know what, your past is the past and God can transform it. And what a beautiful thing would be if God could use the hard things and the painful things, even the things that were your fault, and use them still for His glory. So don't edit the brokenness out of your life. Here's the third thing. Beware when the mission becomes about me. When I think some of the nasty issues that I've dealt with in church ministry, when I think of some of the casualties that I've seen, when I think of some of the big mistakes that I've made in my life, there is a consistent theme. Somewhere along the line, the mission became about me. It happens, no matter if it's in business, if it's a a family. I mean, someone makes some kind of comment about your kids, and you're immediately thinking, well, what what does it say about me? How did it become about you? Have a ministry that you're involved in, suddenly it grows and you think you've got something really going well and it can so quickly become about you. The position that you have now is about you, you, you. And what's crazy is it doesn't take a lot for the mission that used to be about God to suddenly become about you and your little territory and your ideas and your memos and your emails and your stuff. And the reality is, here's the thing, God can move you on and someone else is going to take that job and probably do better than you did in the first place. We are all expendable. Because at the end of the day, you know why? Because it's about God, not about us. And Moses, despite all the blessings that God had given him, somehow understood that it really isn't about him. Something certainly valuable and affirming about all these people waiting to hear from him, but that needed to change. And, And Moses was able to embrace that. Beware of me mission creep. Here's the final thing. And that is this. Beware of an absence of counsel. To those of you who are kind of young in your career and young in life, some of you are going to climb the corporate ladder, you're going to get in positions of influence and power, let me just caution you, the further up you climb in that ladder, the less often people really tell you how you're really doing. The higher you go, the more you have to seek counsel because people won't tell you what's really going on anymore. And the reality is we need counselors in our life. If you're a younger person, you need to have an older person that's serving as a mentor or a discipler in your life. Just someone you take out to coffee and say, hey, tell me about all the great stuff and what I should learn. And be a person who's constantly asking questions. You ought to be the, the kind of person who's, who's looking to learn. The kind of person who's approachable. And the problem is, is often unapproachable people don't know they're unapproachable. Unteachable people don't know that they're not very teachable. I remember a conversation I was having with someone a number of years ago, and I just said, look, man, the problem is, is you are completely unapproachable. 
And he said, what do you mean I'm unapproachable? I said, you are. He said, I, I am not unapproachable. There's not a line of people outside my door coming to tell me that I'm unapproachable. And I said, that's the point. Oh, yeah. So beware of an absence of counsel. If no one's telling you what you're not doing well at, you ought to be nervous. You're not that good. (laughs) It's just you've become that insulated. Moses needed the advice of Jethro, and we need Jethro-like people in our lives. So you see the difference? God-centered versus me-centered way of thinking pride and and self-regard get in the middle of all that and yet we find that the people who god used greatly in the advancement of his kingdom they're they're two pretty important characteristics they were available they said god i don't know what you're doing i don't even think i'm really qualified for this but at the end of the day you know what you're doing something and i want to be a part of your mission and i'm going to talk about it i'm going to open my mouth i'm going to believe that you're going to open their heart god i'm looking for these doors of opportunity that you're providing and i'm going to engage in your mission and the other thing is god i never want to stop learning i never want to stop growing because at the end of the day everything is about you and i got a long ways to go and if it wasn't for you and your grace in my life i wouldn't even be where i am today so college park here's my prayer for you in light of the gospel and in light of the glory of god i want you for god's sake and for the advancement of his kingdom by the Spirit of Christ, to be the kind of people who are available for God's mission and teachable for all the lessons He wants you to learn. I want you to be available, and I want you to be teachable. God, by His Spirit, helping you. Let's pray. Father, we are not always teachable, and we're not always available. We get stuck in the midst of all of our busy pursuits, and we... We just get very much a tunnel vision. The things that we do, our kids, ministry, our jobs, they become all about us. We attach too much emotional um, capital in them, and then when things go wrong or things get a little messed up, we, we get all worried and anxious and nasty with people. Just help us, God, to have the right perspective. Guard us from me mission creep. Help us to be the kind of people who are available, that you get to place us wherever you want us. And it's your call, not ours. So thanks for examples like Moses, given to us in the Bible, who understood you and then tried to figure out how to live. And I pray you'd help us to do the same. Thank you for this gospel that transforms us by forgiving us of sins that we could never atone for on our own and then liberating us so we can live for your glory. And Lord, I I pray that that would be the confession of our hearts today and that we would be the kind of people who out of that gospel live teachable and available lives for your glory and we pray this in jesus name amen hey one of the first steps in being teachable is to say i need to be prayed over that i would be teachable there'll be some folks up here afterwards if there's something related to that you like to talk about or pray about they'll be here to minister grace to you okay i love you college park thanks for coming god bless you